Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you uh, for the Bible, which has been uh, preserved over thousands of years. Father, despite many attempts to destroy it, it has survived. And not only has it survived, it has thrived. Father, we thank you that we have access to this book. We have access to the words in it, which we understand are God-breathed, they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. And Father, we pray that you'd help us not to take it for granted. Father, help us to realize uh, that we have this incredible resource. Father, even when Christians in other countries don't have that resource, Father, there are some people in our, our world who don't even have a copy of the Bible in their language. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd raise up people to translate it uh, into uh, all these different languages where it's still to be written into. And Father, we pray that you'd raise up people to that work. Father, we just thank you for your word, and we pray that as we turn to it this morning, that our hearts would be opened and that you would speak to us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6, uh, and it will be verses 10 through to 12. And I'm going to read this passage again uh, because it's, it's the foundation of what we're talking about this morning, and I'll, I'll refer back to it a few times as we're going through. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. You know, last week we began a series on spiritual warfare and spiritual armor, and uh, we considered the fact that we're in a battle, and focused specifically on the point Paul makes that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Often we experience opposition, we experience uh, somebody who we would call an enemy as, as a person, a real-life person, but often our enemy isn't the person. Uh, the enemy is what is behind uh, the situations that we face. And we also looked last week about how opposition can come from within the church. And I would say if there's infighting, if there's factions and cliques in a church they're either too comfortable or too naive. Did you get that? If there's stuff going on in the church that's dividing us and splitting us apart, as happens in the church, we're either too comfortable or too naive. It really is quite incredible to see what happens in the church of Jesus Christ these days, the way that we are split and divided over doctrine, over issues, and I understand why we have splits and divisions, but we miss the point that we have a real enemy, and that passage which we've just read out names him. It talks about the devil and the devil's schemes. We have a real enemy, and so we need to consider that. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 10, reading from the New Living. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. If a church is divided, it will never grow 
and achieve its God-given purpose. And so that's what we considered last week, that the fact that there can be divisions in the church, and there's no place for that. The Scripture is clear about that, and the Scripture is clear that we need to be humble. We need to take a humble position before each other, not being the big cheese. But today, I want to think slightly differently uh, about the church's battle and think about persecution, because there are those in our world who experience acute persecution for their adherence to their faith. Not just Christian faith, not just the Christian faith. May I say there are people of all faiths who experience persecution. There are people who experience persecution because they're not the right they're not the right color or whatever it might be. Um, So there's all sorts of people that face persecution in our world. But I want to think specifically about the persecution that the church faces. And I'm going to just run through this. Um, Open Door is an organization uh, which we have had a lot of contact with over the years. And every year they produce a thing called the World Watch List. And it's a list of the top 50 countries where people... Christians experience persecution. And, you know, I was thinking, well, how do they measure that? And there's a useful graphic on the American website which shows us that the measure that they use is where pressure is felt in uh, private life, in family life, in the community, uh, in national life, and also in church life. And then there's a sixth indicator which is where people experience violence because of their faith. And they look at what's happening in the world, they pull all this information together, and they produce a thing called the World Watch List. And this is a representation of that. Uh, It's the top 50 nations where uh, the persecution of Christians is solely felt. And I'm going to show you a video which talks about persecution of Christians. It's put together by Open Door. Um, and it will look at the top five of those countries which are on that that chart. Excuse me. So here we go uh, for the video. Millions of Christians worldwide are persecuted because of their faith. Every year, Open Doors publishes the World Watch List to focus the world's attention on the 50 countries where Christians face the greatest persecution. Here are the top five countries on the list, the most dangerous places on earth to be a Christian. Sudan. The government is determined that Sudan should become a fully Islamic country. Leaving Islam is punishable by death. In the north of the country, the government have imprisoned pastors and demolished churches, while in the south they are waging a war against the non-Arab, mostly Christian people. At least five Sudanese Christians were killed and 12 were imprisoned for their faith in 2016. Number four, Pakistan. Christians faced more violence in Pakistan in 2016 than anywhere else in the world. Among the outrages, a bomb attack at Easter in Lahore killed at least 69 Christians. But the violence is ongoing. An estimated 700 Christian women and girls are abducted every year. The blasphemy laws are often used against Christians. If you are accused of having insulted Islam in any way, your life is in danger. Afghanistan. All Afghan believers are secret converts from Islam. Anyone who 
who dares to leave Islam faces arrest and may even be killed by family members. The result is that there is no visible church. Only God knows how many secret believers there are in Afghanistan. Number two, Somalia. If you are even suspected of being a Christian in Somalia, you could be murdered on the spot. At least 12 secret Christians were killed last year. Christians face violence at the hands of the militant Islamist group Al-Shabaab, but also from family and local clan leaders. Number one, North Korea. North Korea is number one on the world watch list as it has been every year since 2002. To follow Jesus in this country is to risk imprisonment, torture and death. The regime considers Christians enemies of the state. Tens of thousands of Christians are incarcerated in horrific labour camps, while thousands more keep their faith a complete secret, often even from their own family. Even so, underground churches are growing, and in secret the gospel is spreading. Despite all this, the persecuted church is not merely surviving. It is living, growing and continuing to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. But as persecution increases, persecuted believers need the support of their family, the body of Christ, to help them stand firm in their faith. Today, your voice, your prayers, your gifts are more vital than ever before. It just gives us a little picture into what other people face in other countries. You know, we don't face that type of persecution in our country. Um, there's probably a time in our history when we did. And, you know, one of the countries that was mentioned there uh, was North Korea. It was number one on the world watch list, um, where people face imprisonment, torture and death. You know, that's what these people risk if they decide to follow Jesus. Incredible, isn't it? It's incredible. And we're encouraged to pray, and we're going to do this in just a little second, we're encouraged to pray for strength and endurance for the tens of thousands of Christians incarcerated in horrific labour camps. I read a book called One Last Dance by a man called Elie Wiesel. He was a survivor from Auschwitz. And one of the things that struck me as I read that book was the state of the people in these camps. One of the things that saved them from going mad was the thought that the outside world didn't know. Because surely if they did know, somebody would come and do something about it. This is not a political message, by the way. Surely if they knew somebody would do something about it. We know that there are people in North Korea facing torture, imprisonment and death. We know. Therefore, we need to do something about it. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters. The second country that was mentioned uh, on the list there was Somalia where even if you're suspected of being a Christian, you can be murdered on the spot. And let's use the language as it is. And we're encouraged to pray for protection for the Somali men and women who follow Jesus, despite the terrible risks that they face. Let's just bow our heads for a moment as we pray for our brothers and sisters across the world. Father, we think of those in North Korea who are at great risk if they come alongside the name of Jesus. Father, we pray that you'd strengthen each one. Father, we pray that you would give them the, the personal strength and inner resources to be able to cope 
Father, for those who find themselves imprisoned. Father, for those who find themselves in uh, a situation which we can only begin to imagine the horrors of. Father, we pray that you would strengthen them. Father, may they know your presence in such a special way. And Father, we pray that you would do something that would break the yoke of persecution over these people. Father, for those in Somalia, Father, we pray again your protection over them. Father, that you would strengthen every believer. And Father, we pray that you would cause your church to grow. It seems an impossible task, but Father, it seems to me that in the areas where your church experiences persecution, these are the places where it is growing. And so, Father, we pray that you would strengthen every believer. Father, help us to get alongside organizations like Open Doors and support the work that they do. Father, we know that in their partnership with the local church, that the resources which we give go to the right place where it's needed most. And so, Father, we pray that you would touch our hearts today. And, Father, that we would think about our responsibility to brothers and sisters who experience such intense persecution for their faith. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I listened to a man called Eddie Lyle come and speak. He is the president of Open Doors. And this is what, uh, well, this isn't what he said, but this is what he says in an article which, which I was reading. For secret believers in the Middle East and in North Africa, persecution is normal, as it often is in the Bible. I remember Eddie saying that the Bible is a book written by persecuted Christians, for persecuted Christians. So true. They read the disciples' stories in the book of Acts, and they see their experiences mirrored there. They read the words of our Savior himself in the gospel, saying, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Taking up the cross, as Jesus said, is an intrinsic part of being a follower. Sacrifice, self-sacrifice specifically, comes as part of the territory. Incredible words. And this is a man who's traveled to many of the countries where they're experiencing persecution. And you need to read some of these stories about, there's a story in, I don't know if it was this article or another one, I can't remember. There's two articles I read, but a story of a whole village who had the same dream of a man dressed in white. They all had the same dream on the same, at the same time on the same night. And they encountered Jesus and they turned to Jesus. How, that, how that's outworked, how their faith is outworked, uh, is another story. But incredible to hear some of these stories of what God is doing in the world. But one of the engines of persecution that Open Doors talks about is one that we may be more familiar with. And it says, uh, it talks about secular intolerance. That is, attempts to eradicate religion from the public and private domain and impose an atheistic form of secularism as a new governing ideology. That's what we see in our world today. Uh, I hear it we've been in school and around school circles sometimes, um, some of the things that, that, that come into school. And, uh, you know, I was just doing some research this week and uh, on the Humanist website, um, and this is just a little uh, extract from it. And uh, again, but it's, it's promoting a, a different ideology. It's promoting a humanist ideology, and that's what their desire is uh, to promote in school. Um, it's just really interesting. It's, it's, it's essentially evangelism for a different cause. 
And uh, really, on the, one of the things on the website was uh, encouraging uh, to sign a petition that allows uh, uh, boys and girls to opt out of religion, uh, religious observance, which they already can do, which is really interesting. Um, but really, it, it's coming against the church, and I think Christianity in particular in this country. Um, on the secularist website, there's a really interesting uh, phrase. I've underlined the middle part of it, where it talks about freedom from religion. That's part of the manifesto, freedom from religion. One of the things that strikes me as incredible is that God has endowed us with free will. God has endowed us with the ability to choose whether we follow him, follow him or not. We've all got free will. What's the point in God giving us free will and then coming and forcing us what to do? God's given us free will, every single person. And so the people who are complaining about religion are free from religion already. They're already free from it. They don't need to choose to follow it. But it's this continual squeeze to push it out of the public domain, to push it out of a place of privilege as they would see it. And then this picture always amuses me. Um, Richard Dawkins... uh, with the humanist bus campaign, there's probably no God, so stop worrying about your life and enjoy it. Uh, I just found that funny. There's probably no God. That's a bit uncertain, is it not? (laughs) Sorry. I just see the funny side in it. But the serious side about, about that is what it says afterwards. Stop worrying about your life. Stop worrying about it and enjoy your life. You know, I already enjoy my life as a Christian. I don't think there's anything that I do without as a Christian. And the things that I perhaps do without are the things that are going to be harmful for me anyway, because they're not how God's designed me to to work. Uh, and, And so, what's it really saying? It's really saying we don't like religion. We don't like the idea of a God that we're accountable to and that one day we'll stand before and give an account of our lives. A God who will stand as judge one day. And so there's opposition from all over. Opposition from outside of the church is what we're thinking about today. But in all of this, we must remember, and this is so important, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not about other people, but against rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world. When we think about those who oppose the Christian faith, or even any faith for that matter, we need to remember Jesus' words on the cross when he said as he was dying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He encouraged us to pray for for our enemies. Not to come against our enemies, but to pray for our enemies. Because Jesus recognized that behind the person presenting themselves as our enemy is a spiritual thing which is going on, and they don't see it. So he encourages us to pray. To pray for those in authority. To pray for those who rule, rule over us. Those who have power in our society. In the book of Titus, we're reminded in Titus 3, 1 and 2, to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, 
to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. That's very clear, isn't it? So, we're not trying to promote something here which is anti-establishment, anti-government. We're not trying to promote behaviors which are threatening. The church is not that kind of church. In fact, the church time and time again in the media get slated and misrepresented. And how do we respond? Well, we should respond in love. We should respond by praying. And so it says here in uh, Ephesians, to come back to Ephesians, um, it talks about rulers, authorities, uh, and powers. And it says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, the rulers of this darkness, uh, the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly realms. That's the new King James Version. Um, and we need to see that the rulers and authorities and powers in a dark world are not always working for good. I think that's quite obvious. That's obvious to everyone. There are many governments, um, including the government in North Korea, where the majority of people would probably agree these days that they're not quite getting that right. That list of top 50 countries, I'm sure the people in those countries would agree that the governments aren't getting it all right. But in my thinking, and I think the point I want to bring, about, bring out about uh, rulers, authorities, and powers, there are in this world establishments where there is rule, where there is power, and where there is authority. Okay? There are things in our world, there are establishments, and places where there is power and influence in our world. And I, for one, am glad I'm not in that place. I'm glad I'm not in a, a position of power uh, to, to influence because it, it's, it would just uh, it would drive me crazy, actually. But uh, as a church, we need to remember that there are powers that be, if I can use that expression, uh, that are contrary, that come against the church. And uh, one of the... One of the things that I came across when I was reading, and I've quoted this before, but I'm going to quote it again because I found it very striking, uh, was a quote um, from Karl Marx. And I, I read it out in January uh, this year. And he says this, the secret to the holy family, the church that is, I'll catch up with my slides. He says, the secret to the holy family is the earthly family. And to make the former disappear, the latter must be destroyed in theory and in practice. I find that incredibly scary. The secret to the holy family, the church, is the earthly family. Why would you want to destroy earthly families? Why would you want to bring disruption into earthly families? That's the place where I think we experience kinship, we experience love, we experience forgiveness and a whole host of other things that are healthy and wholesome. But clearly in his philosophy here is an idea that once other people get hold of that idea, it goes to somewhere that we probably even he didn't imagine. But I wonder what gets into somebody's head to make such a statement. I wonder what spirit is speaking behind that. I don't think it's his own spirit that's speaking there. I think there's another spirit 
at work there. To begin to understand how destructive that philosophy is, this power, if you like, this power that gets a hold of people, I'm going to show another picture. And uh, it's the picture of a man called Paul Pot, who was responsible for the killing of around 2 million people in Cambodia back in the 70s, a Marxist leader. Somebody who took this philosophy and took this idea, which was probably, let's give them the benefit of their doubt, intended for good, this whole philosophy uh, that these people had. I'm not saying that quote is for good, but the philosophy behind communism and uh, power to the people and all that kind of stuff. But not when it goes that way. Not when two million people are killed in the killing fields of Cambodia. Cambodia. The same philosophy exists in Korea, which we've already observed is number one on the world watch list for persecution of Christians. Number one, the same philosophy, the same idea that tries to silence the church, that tries to push out anything which is a threat to the state. I did say that this wasn't a political message, didn't I? I really mean that. It's not a political message. I'm simply making an observation about what's happening in our world today. Because there are people in positions of power who do not promote Christian values. They'll promote laws and systems which are contrary to God's heart, will, and purpose. But the Bible says that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a a disgrace to any people. We'll look at some of the things which have happened in our world, in nations, and the way that people have been treated, and we think it's an absolute disgrace to that nation. And I'm sure we can look back in our own nation's history and say that was a disgrace, the way that we treated other people in the past, whatever the motivation might have been. Um, I'm just going to skip forward uh, a wee bit in my notes. What we need to recognize is that there are other things behind what we see. My dad used to call it second causes. Behind the rulers, behind the authorities, and behind the powers, there are second causes. It says that there are rulers, authorities, and powers in this dark world. And when it says dark world, it's talking about um, it's talking about an age or a period in time. The world, the the word world that's used there is really talking about an age or a period of time. So it's talking about those who have rule, power, authority in our time, in our generation. And it's marked in the New Testament usage by spiritual or moral characteristics. So not just talking about the rulers, authorities, and powers, but what type of rulers, authorities, and powers are in this world. And it's interesting uh, that the word secular uh, comes from a Latin word, seculum, which means generation or age, which was used in Christian Latin to mean the world as opposed to the church. This world in which we live, a world, if it lives without Christ, becomes a secular world. 
a world where I would suggest if it lives without Christ, begins to turn in on itself. And Paul specifically refers to it as a dark world. And it's into this dark world that God said all those years ago, let there be light. That Jesus says of himself, I am the light of the world. It says in John that the light came into the world, but the world didn't want anything to do with the light. We're happy with the darkness. Thank you very much. Please go away. But when light shines, the darkness is expelled. And we thought about him being the King of kings and Lord of lords this morning. Jesus encouraged us to pray for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done, that light may come into this dark world. Why do we do the things that we do? Things like food banks. Why do we do these things? We do it to bring light into a dark world. Why do we tell people about Jesus? Because he says of himself that he is light. And when he comes into our hearts, he illuminates, he brings understanding, he brings a revelation of who God is, and we are changed. We need to grasp the fact that Jesus came to establish another kingdom, a kingdom over which he is the king. It's a different rule, a different power, a different authority. It's a kingdom of light. It's a kingdom that exposes darkness. Jesus didn't incite rebellion, which often seemed to be what the powers that be in his generation and his world were scared of, whether it was the Jews or whether it was the Romans. They were scared that he was inciting something that would destabilize the establishment. But Jesus wasn't interested in that because he came to establish a different kingdom, a totally different kind of kingdom, one that works on the inside, like yeast working in bread, he said. The little bit of yeast affects the whole batch. And Jesus taught us to pay our taxes. He taught us to be law-abiding citizens. He taught us to submit to authorities, but also to pray for them. He encouraged us to seek his kingdom first above all other things in life, to pray your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said when he was here, the kingdom of God is among you. It's here. It's arrived. And for people who were waiting under oppression for a king to come, this was good news. The church in its oppression, the church in its persecution, hears that there's a king in the midst, and it makes all the difference. Jesus comes to his church. And we have the responsibility to bring the kingdom of God into every circumstance that we face, every person that we pray for, each difficult situation that we experience, each conversation with somebody who has never been introduced to Jesus yet. He encourages us to bring light, to bring his kingdom. It goes on to say, uh, in this passage about the spirit uh, and spiritual forces uh, of wickedness. And I've, I've capitalized the word and there. Because we've been thinking about rulers, authorities, powers in the world, but behind that, I think behind that, there's a spiritual thing going on. And the word and in here intrigued me. And 
against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It makes it, I think the word and makes a distinction between what the enemy does through human agency and what the enemy does directly in our world. The Bible tells us clearly that Satan is ultimately behind everything that is corrupt and evil in our world. Earlier in the book of Ephesians, we read this. It talks about Satan as the prince and power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Heavenly realms. It talks about Satan as being the power of the air, the heavenly realm. Even Jesus refers to Satan as the prince of this world. I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of the world is coming, and he has no hold in me. John chapter 14, verse 30. Jesus' words referring to Satan. He talks about the prince of the world is coming, but he's not got a hold in me. The king of kings and the lord of lords can't be overcome by Satan. You know, it's quite interesting. We tend to think of the, 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 the little kind of angel on one side and the little devil on, on the other side, don't we? It's like, you need to do something that's really good. And it's like, no, you don't want to do that. And, and, and it kind of works its way out. And we think that the devil is God's nemesis, his equal but opposite. It's not the case. He's a created being. He's a, an angel. The Bible tells us he's an angel. We're going to come on to think about the devil and his schemes, the things that he gets up to. He's a created being who's subject to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, just the same. But we're thinking about the, the fact that there is this spiritual realm, there is this spiritual realm in the heavenlies. And one of the most powerful examples for me uh, is in the book of Daniel. Um, Daniel isn't only a historical document, but it contains many words of prophecy. Some have been fulfilled, and some have yet to be fulfilled. And some of the words which were revealed, the things which were revealed to Daniel have been sealed up for a future time. Imagine being Daniel. Incredible. And this is a powerful example. It gives us insight into the spiritual reality in our world, and perhaps an indication that Satan's forces are given specific areas in which to operate and exert their influence. And it can be closely linked with rulers, powers, and authorities that we've been considering. Let me read this little excerpt from the book of Daniel. It's in chapter 10, verses 12 to 14. Then he, the angel, is talking about, said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left alone there with the kings, interesting to note that it's plural, of Persia. It's an interesting passage, and there's so much in it, and we're only going to skim through it. But please note that the angel comes in response to Daniel's prayer. And there's some things I want to think about as we look at this passage, some keys that we need to, to learn. The first one is this, that Daniel set his heart. Interesting word, which means that he gave himself to this purpose of seeking 
That's what set means. He gave himself to this purpose. Sometimes we give ourselves to a purpose and then we get discouraged or we get distracted and we begin to take ourselves back again. It's like, oh, because we lack the courage or the discipline or whatever it might be. But Daniel gave himself to this purpose. What purpose? He gave himself to understand to understand his times, to understand what was happening, to understand what God was trying to say into his time, but we learn that it's not just for his time, it's for many times. He set himself to understanding. If you read earlier in the book of Daniel, in this particular part, this passage, it tells us that he began to fast. So he gave himself no choice food. He set his heart intentionally and his body followed suit. So he was fasting in that process as well. Not totally abstaining from food, but abstaining from choice food. And so we read here that uh, he humbled himself. And humbling yourself is always or often associated with fasting, humbling one's self before God. And it's interesting that it is before God he set his heart, he gave himself to this purpose of gaining understanding. He humbled himself before God, and as a result, his voice was heard in heaven. God heard what Daniel was saying. Can I just say something? God still hears our prayers, particularly when our prayers are earnest. God responds to them. If we're just casually talking about something, I think God's still interested. But God's interested, I think, in what really moves us. What is actually getting under your skin that is making you give yourself to something? Is there anything that you have given yourself to in God to understand, to find God's purposes, to see his kingdom come, to see his will be done? Daniel's voice was heard, and an angel was sent in response. We should expect a response when we pray, when we set ourselves in the purposes of God, when we desire, when we seek after his purposes, then we should expect a response. And this is the thing. There was opposition. Even in this story, in Daniel, there was opposition. What does it say in verse 13? But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. There was a battle in heaven where there was an angel that opposed the purposes of God, that opposed this angel who was coming to speak to Daniel. And it paints a picture of a spiritual reality in our world which we're often unaware of because we get so caught up with the flesh and blood. We get so caught up with the immediate that we forget we're in a spiritual world. There was opposition. This prince of the kingdom of Persia, it's talking about a spiritual force, came against the angel. So much so that another angel, Michael, who we read about in the New Testament, had to come and assist. There was opposition. I don't think the prince of the kingdom of Persia can be a man. How could a man ever oppose an angel? In every account of angels in the Bible, we read that people just crumble in front of them. 
There's no account in the Bible of a person meeting an angel and not being overwhelmed in some way. In the New Testament, when we think about it at Christmas time, the story of Mary, she was over, overcome by this encounter with the angel. So I think what we're referring to here is a spiritual force. But the attitude of Daniel's heart is astonishing in all of this. Daniel's steadfastness and purpose, his obvious humility, are powerful aspects in his prayer. And I think we need to learn something from this. We need to remember that we're in a battle. We need to remember that the opposition can come from inside the church, and we need to be aware of that. But we need to remember also that the opposition comes from outside of the church, as we've been thinking about today. We need to learn from Daniel's prayer, steadfast in purpose and humble before us God. We need to learn that we must set our hearts in prayer as well. We also need to remember sometimes, though, that the answer is on the way. Sometimes we get discouraged. Sometimes we think God's not heard us, but the answer is on the way. We can't neglect the fact that we're in a spiritual battle. Life was never going to be easy, was it? We're in a spiritual battle. And I think if there's a message for the church today, it's that the church needs to wake up to realize that we're in a spiritual battle. We also need to realize that our battle is not with flesh and blood people, whether it's in the church or outside the church. The battle is with an enemy which, although crafty and powerful, is still defeated. Christ has defeated the enemy through the cross. And we must never forget that he who is in us, the Holy Spirit, is greater than he who is in the world, the prince and power of the air, as we thought about. And so, as I finish, to the, whole, to the Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you. Surrender in humility to the purpose that God wants to work through you, a purpose for the establishing of his kingdom, his rule, and his authority, and to bring light into this dark world. That is your purpose as a Christian, to be a light. And you can't hide your light. Lights were never designed to be hidden. Lights are meant to be where they can be seen and bring benefit to people. Maybe you've never made that decision to become a Christian yet. Maybe you're exploring. Maybe you want to know more about who God is. If you've never made that decision to become a Christian, then I invite you to ask God, the Holy Spirit, into your life. And it's a simple matter of confessing your sin, confessing your need for a saviour, and confessing your own inadequacy to accomplish anything that is pleasing to God in your own strength. All we need to do is surrender to him, to his grace and to his goodness. This same Holy Spirit will come in to our hearts, will come into your heart, All he's waiting for is an invitation. We can't ignore that we're in a spiritual world with spiritual realities. And everything that's spiritual that opposes God will try and stop, 
people from seeing the light and from seeing the truth. But I encourage you to make that decision, to make that little decision to say, Holy Spirit, come in and switch on the light inside. And he will. He's promised that he'll do it. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. Musicians, please come back up. Father, we thank you that your church is alive and that it's well and that it's growing. Father, your, words, your word has said, Jesus said himself, that he will build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Father, we thank you that despite what we see happening in our country, the church is growing. The church is on the move. And Father, we pray that we would not get left behind in this country. Father, we pray for your church that you would cause it to wake up. Father, that your church would wake up to see what's happening around it. And Father, that you would cause unity uh, to really come back into your church once again. Father, not off on our little tangents with our own pet things, but Father, to seek your kingdom, to seek your kingdom with all of our hearts. Father, to pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us, like Daniel, to set ourselves to this purpose, to seeing your kingdom come, to seeing your will be done, to seeing your kingdom established. And Father, it starts with us. It starts with my life, with the lives of everyone that's in this congregation today. It starts with us setting ourselves to your purposes. And so, Father, we pray that you'd come and that you'd move amongst us and that you'd do something in us. And Father, for those who've maybe, maybe never made that decision to follow Jesus yet, Lord, we pray that your Spirit would come and that you would just draw people to yourself. Father, that your Spirit would draw every believer, every non-believer yet, to yourself. Father, that we would experience your presence, that we would know your words deep within our hearts. And just as we finish off this morning, I don't think we can really not respond to what God has been saying this morning. And I think what I would like to do is say if, you know, if you're a Christian in this place and you've been stirred by what's been said today and you want to give yourself to God's purposes and all the things that he wants to accomplish, then I just ask that you stick your hand up and stick it back down again. Just as a response to say, yep, I'm giving myself to this purpose. Thank you. Father, I thank you for every person who has put a hand up today. Father, just to say that they are setting their hearts to your purposes, giving themselves to your purposes here on earth. And Father, we, we know that we will have opposition in so many different ways. But Father, help us to stay strong and to stay firm, to, be, to remain prayerful, to remain humble before each other and before you. And just before we move on, <clears throat> if there's anyone who's not made a decision to become a Christian yet, and you want to do that, 
then I would invite you to just stick your hand up as well. If that's you, then just pop your hand up. We'll pray for you. Father, we thank you for your purposes on this earth. Father, purposes that are to bring good in this earth. Father, purposes which are to eradicate evil in this earth. And Father, we thank you. We thank you that even for those who've experienced injustice, Father, that when they stand before your throne, that they will get justice for the atrocities which have been committed to them and to their families. Father, we thank you that you're a God who loves us, a God who cares for us. And Father, we pray that your spirit would come and that you just strengthen us and cause us to be the church that you desire us to be. Father, take us out into this week with your heart and purposes in mind. Strengthen us. Father, give us the resources that we need. Lord, those who need a touch in their bodies physically, Lord, we pray that you begin to release gifts of healing uh, through the church, through your body here. And uh, Father, we pray that we would see you at work in miraculous ways, in new ways, in ways that we've not seen in our uh, uh, church before or in our generation before, perhaps. Father, we pray that we would see you do incredible things as we give ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. We stand, we're going to sing a closing song, give our tithes and offerings, and really praise our God as we finish off today. Meaningful to us. Father, we thank you that you have achieved something that is beyond our generation, beyond time. Father, something which lasts for eternity. Father, we thank you that our salvation is in you. Father, we thank you that justice is in you. And Father, we thank you that you have said that your purposes will prevail. And Father, we just pray that you would help us as we go into this week, Father, to face all the things which are before us with your strength. Father, in your mighty power, Father, you've not called us to do these things on our own, but Father, you have come to give us life and to give us strength and to give us power. And so, Father, just once more, we pray for your persecuted church across the world, those where, it's, uh, where the, the persecution is extreme. Lord, we pray that you strengthen every believer. Lord, may they know your comfort, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Father, may they know the love of God. And Father, may they know peace in their hearts. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.